0: The Guardian.
1: When was the last time you spoke to someone about the menopause? Today? Last week? Ever? Despite being something that will affect half the population, the menopause is still a taboo topic, leaving many of us unaware of anything beyond the basics.
2: And the same can be said for some of the science behind it. So how that mechanism is is regulated is not entirely understood, but you need a certain number of the immature eggs to support the growth and development to maturity. That's just one of
1: the things we learnt while making this week's episode. Another is that for the millions of menopausal women out there, some of whom will experience debilitating hot flushes, Hope is on the horizon with a new compound that has shown huge promise in early clinical trials.
0: What we were surprised to see was how well it worked.
1: I'm Hannah Devlin and this week we'll speak to two scientists at the forefront of this field to find out why the menopause has remained a bit of a mystery for scientists and what the future might hold, both for our understanding of the menopause and for those who experience it. Hello. Oh hi, it's Hannah here from the Guardian. Oh hi, Hannah. It's Evelyn here.
2: Hi. uh, Okay, so I'm Evelyn Telfer, Professor of Reproductive Biology at the University of Edinburgh.
1: Evelyn has spent much of her career focusing on ovarian biology, which is where we started. So I wanted to start with the basics. I think most people have got a rough idea that the menopause happens when uh, a woman runs out of eggs, but could you just Unpack it a bit more and explain why that happens. It do we completely run out of eggs? What's going on in the ovaries as you kind of lead up to the menopause? Yeah,
2: yeah. So if when when uh, women are born, um, uh, the eggs that they have are formed before birth. So there's millions of eggs that are being formed, um, you know, before the the girls even even born. But uh, after birth, there is a drastic loss in these numbers of eggs uh, pre pubertally So before a girl even enters puberty, she's lost uh, a large number of the eggs that have been formed. And then after puberty, there's control mechanisms to regulate the number of eggs. So you can imagine that these eggs are in a, a resting state. And, you know, they, they have signals to tell them to start to grow, and that is regulated throughout their reproductive life. So there's a continuous loss of these eggs, and the, the rate at which they are lost increases, so that it's a faster loss when women are in their mid to late 30s. And that's then you know going down towards the the onset of menopause for women in their forties. So there'll be a decline in egg number. It's not a complete loss of eggs. There's still um, eggs there uh, in older women, but there's not enough to support um, sus- you know sustained cycles um, and and have ovulations on a monthly basis. I, I always thought that you just lost one a month i think that's what we were taught in school
1: but that i mean if you just think of the arithmetic you start out with a million that can't be right so are they are more of them going along this conveyor belt than than the one you know the one that could get
2: fertilized absolutely i mean the immature eggs so the eggs that we call the ovarian reserve so these are the immature eggs that are sitting there they've been formed before birth they're constantly being um activated to grow And many of them start growing, so it's a continuous process. It's not every month. Continuously, these eggs are starting to grow. But what's happening on a monthly basis is that some of them will be selected to continue through growth and development until the point that they would reach ovulation. And in humans, only one of them will ever get to that point on a monthly basis. Uh, basis. So the reality is that 99.9% of all eggs that were formed before birth end up dying. They degenerate. And only 0.1% of the eggs that were formed before birth are destined to be ovulated. So it's a huge degree of wastage that, that we see.
1: But how does this dominant follicle, or as I like to think of it, the queen
2: egg, Get selected, the dominant follicle selected, and then can develop to the point of ovulation. There's then feedback mechanisms that that support the dominant follicle and then inhibit all the other follicles that are coming through. So it's um, you know th- there's control at the level of the of the brain of of the, some of the hormones that are regulated from the pituitary gland and then local factors within the ovary. So once a follicle has reached the, the dominant stage, it will then feed back and repress the other ones coming through. So it's like a survival of the fittest every month. Uh, it, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's dependent upon it's being at the right place at the right time, having the right receptors to respond to the levels of hormones that are present at that particular time. So, yes, um, being, being in the right situation at the right time and being able to respond to the prevailing um, hormonal conditions within the, the ovary.
1: And so the menopause is when this—you have this conveyor belt of eggs speeding along. It's getting faster as you're getting older, and then suddenly it stops. What what happens?
2: Well, I mean, there's there's not enough of the the eggs that are within the ovary to sustain that growth and development um, to produce you know um, uh, an ovulatory egg. What happens though before menopause? is that you maybe get cycles are not regular. And we don't really understand what level of eggs are required to sustain um, regular monthly cycles. But we know that when it gets be- below a certain number, then they're, they're not sustained. So for some women, there can be a level of, of eggs, number of eggs that result in irregular cycles. and But for some other women, uh, that might be more regular and then they just suddenly stop um, cycling. So how that mechanism is regulated is not entirely understood, but you need a certain number of the immature eggs to support the growth and development to maturity. So you've still got some eggs left, but they seem to
1: stop going through this process. How do they,
2: why does that happen? Well, the growth of the early eggs is dependent on signals from some of the growing eggs or the growing follicles. So if there's not many growing follicles, then there's going to be a reduction in the signals. But also, there's something about how the eggs are within the ovary. so they tend to start their growth in clusters, in groups. So when they're um, you know declining in numbers, there's it looks like there's less of less of these groups that they're more dispersed throughout the the ovary, which may have an impact on their ability to start their growth phase. I spoke to Evelyn for a piece I wrote about the
1: menopause. And she summed this up then by saying, it's almost like they're losing their friends. And this is what leads to the menopause. And as Evelyn explains, the drop of oestrogen that comes with it.
2: So once the the follicles start to grow and they develop into the larger growing follicles. So like we said, there's a lot that will die at different stages. But there will be a cluster of them that will reach you know um, quite advanced stages, and then from those, one will be selected to go on to be ovulated. And it's those advanced stage follicles that are responsible for the production of estrogen in the female. So the ovary is responsible for producing the eggs and for producing oestrogen and progesterone in in the woman. So if you don't have eggs developing, don't have follicles developing to that stage, to the the more advanced stage, then you will get a a sharp decline in the uh, levels of oestrogen. This
1: drop in hormones is what causes the symptoms associated with the menopause, including hot flushes. But as we'll hear after this short break, the mechanism behind these hot flushes was, until recently, a bit of a black box.
0: So the, the box has been uh, opened and uh, investigated.
1: We'll be right back. The way things are isn't the way they have to be.
2: But knowing what
0: to challenge and how to change it isn't always clear.
1: That's why independent journalism has never mattered more. When we are free to follow any lead and
0: question any authority, we can confront the status quo, uncover vital alternatives and bring clarity to the world's most complex issues. We can help our readers understand the world.
1: So together we can fight for a better one. Hope is power. And with your support, you'll always find it at The Guardian. Welcome back to Science Weekly. Before the break, we heard how the menopause comes about. Essentially, the ovaries run out of eggs. There are still a few knocking around, but not enough for ovulation to happen. And this leads to a drop in the female sex hormones, including oestrogen. That much, scientists have known for a while, but until recently, the details beyond that were pretty vague.
0: So I'm Professor Waljit Dillow. I'm an NIHR research professor at Imperial College London.
1: Waljit is also a consultant endocrinologist. I started by asking him how much he learnt about the menopause back in medical school.
0: Very little. Um, I mean, obviously, the medical curriculum, you're learning a vast amount of information and, and you learn, you know, a little about a lot. So it's only really as a specialist... In endocrinology where you get you know access to patients with menopause uh, and start learning a bit more about it but actually it's unless you've got a specialist interest you're not going to know huge amounts about the area.
1: So as a doctor what are the main symptoms that patients come to you with and um, that are causing them problems around the menopause?
0: A significant women obviously all women will go through the menopause but a significant women will have uh, much more severe symptoms so hot flushes in particular warmth in their skin sweating um, they'll have problems sleeping, that can lead to uh, depression. Uh, and so these are the common things that patients will experience during essentially a physiological process, uh, which is the uh, menopause. And th- this affects patients at the peak of their careers as well. So usually, you know, the average age of menopause is 45 to 55, something like that. The average age is about 51. And so women are at the peak of their careers and then exposed to essentially distressing symptoms. uh, And the only real therapy is hormone replacement therapy, HRT, which a lot of women can't take.
1: Recent figures suggest that around a million women in the UK use treatment for menopausal symptoms, including HRT. But as Wild just explains.
0: The problem is that that, um, women go through the menopause as a physiological process. And so when you're giving back hormones that they wouldn't normally make at that time of their lives, it can have side effects. And so there's a higher risk of breast cancer, for example, strokes, etc. So some women absolutely can't take it because they've had breast cancer, for example, and some women don't want to because of the extra risk. And so for those women, there really isn't anything out there if they're troubled by symptoms because we haven't understood how the low estrogen is causing the flushes if we understood that you could then develop a a, a therapy and a treatment that would get rid of the flushes but not involve the estrogen.
1: And is it also the case that there's still some debate about how HRT actually works and whether it is just delaying the menopause so that if you come off it you're just basically going right back to the start or whether it's masking it until your body's adjusted to this kind of new reality of not making estrogen anymore
0: it's an interesting question um so we know that if you give the hrt then the flushes get better in most cases but we also know if you stop the hrt several years later then the flushes don't come back so there must be some adjustment of the body and we don't really understand that which is amazing you know since menopause is a big problem that we still understand so little about it
1: This lack of understanding, which walls compared to a black box, has made it hard to know where to start when developing new treatments. But it's something that might be about to change. Okay, so let's talk about this black box. In the last few years, and it's surprising that we haven't heard more about this, there's been a a huge development in our understanding of the menopause and why this drop in oestrogen leads to hot flushes and other symptoms. Uh, Just take me through what the link is and what was inside the box
0: so the the box has been uh opened and uh investigated by a researcher in the states called no Rants, and for essentially the last 20 years she's been interested in this area but over the last five to ten years or so she's basically discovered that uh, an area of the brain that controls a hormone is responsible uh, for causing the flushes so the the idea is that the low estrogen is causing the flushes but it does so by increasing this other hormone in the brain and she's done that through animal models and I think that's a really important message to get out there that that animal research has led to this completely new breakthrough and understanding and then that's led to us taking it forward in patients and in the clinical trial.
1: Most animals don't go through the menopause. I think there's maybe killer whales uh, and a few others that are known to go through. I assume she's not doing her experiments on killer whales and maybe elephants
0: she's not doing she's not doing them on those animals no uh she so what she did was uh, often what researchers do is create an animal model for the human disease so what she actually did was take rats and take their ovaries out because we've said in the menopause the eggs are essentially dying and that will obviously lead to a drop in the hormone estrogen and that will be the same as in a menopausal woman And then rats obviously don't have a menopausal flush. And so she decided to put a a, a cuff on the tail of the rat. And then when it's having a menopausal flush, it'll get an increase in blood flow just as menopausal women, a woman would. And that will make the tail go redder. And you can pick that up on the cuff. And what she uh, found was that in the brain of these rats, a hormone called neurokinin B was uh, elevated. Um, And then when she took that hormone out of the brain then the rats didn't flush anymore so that essentially proved in at least a rat model of a menopausal situation that neurokinin B in the brain uh, was the uh, hormone that was causing the flushing.
1: Coincidentally around the same time Walgett and his team had been giving the same hormone neurokinin B to healthy volunteers and noted hot flushes as a side effect. But it was only when they heard about the research done in the red-tailed rats that their eureka moment came. What if they could block this hormone? Luckily, there was already a compound available that did exactly that.
0: So it's, uh, the class of compounds is called a neurokinin-3 receptor antagonist, which is a bit of a mouthful, but essentially what they're doing is blocking the hormone neurokinin-B. So neurokinin-B acts on what's called a receptor, so it locks into, if you like, like a key in a lock, and then it has this effect... And so if you're blocking where the hormone would act, then it should block the flushes if that's the cause. Did it work? So what we were surprised to see was how well it worked so most first human studies you don't know if they're going to work at all you might not get much of an effect and actually we've got a 73 percent reduction in menopausal flushing and the effects were pretty much immediate as soon as the patients took the drug so the patients had four weeks of the drug or they had four weeks of uh, essentially a sugar pill and they didn't know the difference between the two so they shouldn't have been able to tell when they were on the drug and when they weren't but they were clear as soon as they took the drug the flushes went away so the the patients were kind of telling us before we even knew that you know it was having a massive effect
1: and were there any side
0: effects so we, the only side effect that we noted was in two or three patients there was some minor uh blood test rises in the liver function but other than that the patients were taking the tablet twice a day at home for four weeks by themselves and coming in just for a weekly blood tests mm-hmm. so if the long-term safety data with the three companies at least that are out there at the moment taking compounds forward um this should be a new blockbuster drug hopefully for the menopause
1: Providing the compound is found to be safe in clinical trials, these drugs could provide a much-needed alternative to HRT. Currently, this lack of choice has led many women to try out alternative therapies such as acupuncture and herbal remedies.
0: One of the big things in menopause is that unless you do a trial where you're comparing the treatment that you're giving versus what we call a placebo, like a sugar tablet, or essentially not the treatment, um, then you'll get a reduction in flushing. And so those, so the trials, so the trial we did, for example, we gave them a sugar pill for four weeks, and they didn't know whether they were getting the sugar pill or the tablet, and then they took the other treatment. So we knew what the sugar pill and the effect of being in the trial was, and that caused about a twenty-five percent reduction in flushing. But actually, when they were on the medication, there was a 73% reduction in flushing. So we knew that it was having a really big effect on flushes. There is some evidence for antidepressants working, but that's not really targeting, again, what the main problem is. Um, These patients often get depression because of the symptoms, not because they've got depression. Cognitive behavioral therapy, so talking to somebody about the problem, uh, can work, can be very effective. But obviously on a small number of patients that's not practical on a population scale and so I think there are some other therapies out there but other than cognitive behavioral therapy the others have not been tested to sufficient standard and certainly don't have you know to eliminate the symptoms as, as this new breakthrough compound does.
1: It's amazing that this breakthrough has happened that we finally have a better understanding but why has it taken so long? Why is it that It's taken decades to move beyond it being just a drop in oestrogen and come up with a new treatment for something that affects, you know, potentially half the population.
0: I think there'd be two things uh, in response to that. One is funding is challenging and so funding tends to go to areas where things are life-threatening. So as soon as you say heart disease, cancer, those those kind of applications will go to the top of the pile. Uh, menopause has been a bit of a taboo subject really for the up until relatively recently Um, it's been thought of as you know a thing that women go through and just put up with it Uh, and in fact when we applied for the funding for this grant we had very good reviews and um, these are expert scientists around the world who'd reviewed it Uh, and all of them thought it was really interesting but one of them and i don't know if they're male or female said isn't are are we medicalizing a physiological problem Um, and so that's the problem that we've got even in you know 2019 is that you know do we take things that are not completely life-threatening but really devastating to patients seriously enough and I think patient advocates are, are really useful in that setting of raising the profile and I think for example in you know the last 10 years suddenly mental health has become a subject that we talk about freely and I think things like the menopause we need to air more so that men for example will understand what women are going through and other women who who perhaps haven't had the menopause.
1: It's for exactly these reasons that myself and colleagues at The Guardian recently embarked on a series of pieces aimed at exploring the menopause in more depth. To read more head over to theguardian.com and we'll include a link on this week's episode. Special thanks this week to Evelyn Telfer and Waljit Dillow for joining me.
0: For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com podcasts.